Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, where you'll hear right from the source how people like you have been able to buy and build their businesses across different industries all over the country. Dan Claps is the co-founder of Career Transition Leads, Nurture Assist, and Find a Business Online. Christian Dadalak is a franchise consultant with Find a Business Online, and he heads up business development for Career Transition Leads and Nurture Assist. He also runs an independent franchise consulting business, The Franchise Guys. Together, they formed relationships with hundreds of successful business owners who are excited to share their stories with you. Now, here are your hosts, Dan and Christian. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast with your co-hosts, Christian and Dan. And today we have a really, really special guest. I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, This is uh, Rick Mayo, the uh, founder of Alloy Personal Training. So uh, first and foremost, Dan, welcome, co-host. Going on. And then Rick, thanks for coming on, man. Happy to talk to you today. Hey, Christian, thanks. Daniel, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited and uh, haven't seen your your smiling faces in a while. So this is a real treat for me as well. I know. It'd be nice to see you at an IFPG event soon. Are you going to be in Dallas or Fort Worth? I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, I've got other, I've got people, Christian. People run my schedule. So (laughs) all kidding aside, maybe, I'm not really sure. It's like literally I open my calendar for the month. I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be here at this date. So if not, I will definitely see you guys soon because I know there's some IFPG events um, on my calendar for sure. Cool. Yeah, we definitely love to see you soon. It's a lot of fun every time we we all hang out. Um, Heck yeah. So I guess we'll just, we'll just start it off. Obviously for those that don't know you, it'd be nice to get a little bit about your background and something that we always say here is, franchising often so it's not often that you find franchising it's that franchising finds you in a sense so I'm curious if you could share with us how you got into franchising and a little bit about your background because you have a pretty impressive resume well thank you and I I think the way that you described it would be a great way I'm going to steal that and use that from now on because you know our path to franchising is not is atypical right and, I, and then everyone that I talk to now is like, was this always part of the master plan? And it, you know, I would love to say yes, but the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I'll just, uh, I'll dive right in. So we have been in business for 30 years, which is somewhat embarrassing. And I'm also really proud of it at the same time. I'm actually sitting in the same physical building that we opened in in 1992 when I was in college. So I was a junior in college, made my way through school. And I was doing this thing called personal training, which at the time, it wasn't even really a, a thing, right? Like if you told someone you were a personal trainer, A, they didn't know what you did. And then if you described it, they still didn't know what you did. And it was a little bit like having a tennis pro in the 80s where, you know, if you had a female client that said she had a personal trainer, people would kind of go, ooh, you know, that kind of thing. And so it wasn't a profession. There was no certifications or anything like that. But, you know, it was something that I really enjoyed, like health and fitness. And it was a great way to teach other people how to be healthy and fit. It was a great way to, to earn a really good hourly um, you know, wage. And of course it allowed me to live on my own and pay my way through school. And I was doing this at pretty high volume until I eventually thought, you know, what a novel idea it would be to take this great service, personal training, put four walls around it and create a customer experience, right? Then we could do things like towel service and, you know, just create like a higher end, um, again, customer experience around this service of training. And lo and behold, we were probably first. I mean, there was no internet, which I know is hard to believe, but there was no internet back then. You know, we were like delivering things by Pony Express, shipping them out on some tablets, you know, but um, there wasn't any, at least that I knew of, facilities dedicated to just that service. And as you guys know, in any market, it's always good to be first at what you're doing. 
And so over time, the, the model evolved and personal training became like a real industry, right? And so we learned how to scale personal training from just one person at a time, which made it very expensive for the consumer and not really scalable as a business model. We learned how to scale it to training up to six people with one coach and still being able to keep the claim of personal training. So as the service became a real business, we landed on this interesting model and a great way to service coaching. And it put us on the radar um, you know, of some of the big fitness organizations, the governing bodies. And it turns out, like, you know, much to my surprise, we were, on, we were sitting on one of the highest revenue per square foot fitness facilities in the world, which I didn't know. I didn't know what our revenue was compared to other facilities. I was just sort of sitting in this silo you know, in Atlanta doing my thing. And of course, once we got on the radar for that, it was speaking engagements and consulting. And I was doing that, flying all over the world, telling people what we do and how we do it. And that led to people asking, hey, can we buy you know, your sales system? Or can you write the workouts for our club? Can you teach this? Can you teach that? And eventually we thought, you know, instead of selling things piecemeal, why don't we wrap it up? And at this point, obviously there wasn't internet of things. Let's put it on this digital platform and we'll do it as a white label. So we'll power other brands. We'll let them keep, we'll, we'll stay behind the scenes. And we called it licensing, which is somewhat confusing. So that could be an interchangeable term with, you know, awarding franchise licenses. But for us, it was like franchise light, meaning, you know, you kept Christian or, or Daniel's, Dan's, you know, name on the door, and we would power all your coaching services behind the scenes. And we scaled that all the way in the, in the last 10 years, 12 years, probably, um, to 2,500 locations worldwide. So, I mean, everywhere from, you know, I like to name the most obscure places like Cyprus and Dubai and Tasmania and India, you know, but really, if you think mostly U.S., Australia, U.K., Europe, you know, just this high volume. And it was really like franchise light. People paid an upfront fee and we trained them on what to do. And then we provided ongoing content. Right. And there's a couple of rules, as you guys know, that you, you can't cross certain um, you know, lines in the sand or you will be by default a franchise. One of those ones was, again, don't run your brand, don't run your brand on the front door. And we, we stayed out of that. But boy, did it give us an interesting peek under the covers at the market, right? Because all these different markets, everything from CrossFit to, you know, we, we did a, a great uh, agreement, five-year agreement with Anytime Fitness. So it put me on their advisory board, you know, and they've got 5,000 locations. They're one of the biggest franchises, period. So, you know, it, it gave me a, a really good look at what it looks like to deploy and operationalize coaching services in a franchise structure. Same thing with Gold's Gym. And, you know, eventually we had boutique fitness coming to us and saying, look, can you do our workouts? Can you do our sales system? And boutique fitness, for anyone that doesn't know this listing, those are just a small footprint, very specific to typically one modality or one service, which we were just personal training. And we thought, you know what, if we're going to power those guys, we should just make a run at our own franchise. And that's, I mean, 30 years to come to the conclusion, right? that we should franchise. So like you said, franchising found us um, and it took it a long time to find us, by the way, I wish it would have found us earlier, but, you know, it happens in due time. But I think that that path to franchising is certainly more unique than what you typically hear. You normally don't get 10 years of 2,500 clubs worth of volume, right? To know where there's gaps in the market, what's really scalable, what can you teach people and get them up to speed quickly. Um, you know, those things come typically through your pioneering franchisees. We didn't have to do that because we already had all that empirical evidence. And so franchising started in 2020, which was, as everyone knows, was an amazing year 
to start a fitness franchise. Great year. <laughs> there was like a little hiccup. I don't remember what it was, but some kind of a hiccup there that, that slowed down our sales. And then in 2021, things started to come back slowly and we're back on it. So yeah, we're just under 50 um, sold, got six open, tons in pre-sales. Thankfully, you know, what we're really good at is teaching clubs how to operate, you know, operate really well and be successful. So validation's going well. And uh, I tell you guys, I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I get to meet fantastic individuals like yourselves. Um, it's an amazing community around franchising is a thing in and of itself that I had no, not, knew nothing about, thought I did, but I've learned a ton and I love it. Great community. It's a great vehicle for success for us and our franchisees. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be, um, you know, in the, on this side of the house for a while, for sure. I love that. Well, thanks for sharing that. Dan, do you have any immediate questions for, for Rick before I chime in with a few of mine? I was just thinking about 2020. I forgot about that year until you reminded me. <laughs> yeah, I think it was That's, something we all, like we're all trying, right? It seems like a decade ago. I remember we in Nurture Assist, we had just signed the lease in February 2020 and built, you know, put this beautiful shiplap wall here mm -hmm. and hired a team and got ready to go and then COVID hit and no one wants to buy leads in the middle of a pandemic for their franchise. They want to focus on what, you know, not expanding, but deal with the, the pandemic. So it was a, a challenging year for us. I'm sure for you as well, especially since you said you started this, you know, this path in 2020. We know what's funny, Daniel, we started like right at the end of 2019. So the very first month that we went to market, we sold eight licenses. Yeah. And it was just to like existing contacts and, you know, really good guys that are doing really well now. And I remember thinking like, this is so easy. Like if I just sold eight to 10 a month, we'll be in a good spot. You know, I mean, guys, you know, that's obscenely fast growth. Right. Oh, yeah. But for me, I was like, I'm used to dealing in brands that have seven, 800, 5,000. I'm like, ah, 10 a month. That's kind of slow, but we'll get started slow. And then we'll ramp it up to a couple hundred a month, not knowing what the hell I was talking about, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a tough year for sure for, for both of us. I didn't realize you guys opened in February as well. So you certainly understand what we went through. Yeah. And so obviously that is the big elephant in the room for a lot of people when they're thinking about a fitness brand. I think people are a little cautious when they're considering fitness franchises. They're thinking, you know, obviously there's a big buzz in home services, but what's the case to be made for fitness right now, especially now that Fingers crossed we're sort of getting on the other side of this pandemic thing. So what's your perspective on that, Rick? And what, what, where do you think things are going? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we all were wondering at some point, like, what's going to happen? Like, what will the consumer behaviors be like when we start to come out of this thing, right? I mean, you guys saw what happened to the stock value of like Peloton as an example, right? And, all, you know, it's sort of like uh, all these short-term investors are like, you know, brick and mortar is never coming back. It's all going all digital forever. And for us, it was like, ah, you know, I mean, it's a really fast transition. I don't think, you know, even our humored, you know, human lizard brains, like we don't evolve that quickly to be like, yes, we need no more human interaction. I'll just work out of my home from now on. And of course, we've all seen now that we're putting the pandemic in our rearview mirror, we're starting to see like, you know, Peloton's not even producing bikes anymore, right? Stock has absolutely plummeted. Um, they're probably going to sell for pennies on the dollar to Amazon or Apple or who knows who's going to buy them. But it was a temporary blip, you know, just based on conditions that no one had ever seen and no one really knew what to do with. So I think, you know, when you look at visits, so again, I'm, I'm sitting on all these boards in our industry for these governing bodies and we get really good data. So whether it's big club models, when I say big, I mean, they have a general membership like a Planet or an Anytime or like a Gold's Gym or something. 
or a boutique fitness, um, the brands that were doing well before are doing as well, if not better now. So the, even visits to clubs for most brands are above pre-pandemic levels, right? And so brick and mortar is back in a big way. And there's been several articles now published in all types from Wall Street Journal to New York Times, you name it, all citing like, you know, these case studies of people literally saying, yes, I couldn't wait to get out and go back to my third place, right? It's like work home. I lost work. I'm at home all the time. I need a place. And that place and a lot of, for a lot of people, the community is the gym and it's a real healthy outlet, right? And so we've seen a huge bounce back. We're in the Southeast, so we're in Atlanta, so in Georgia. So we did not see a huge hiccup. We were only forced to be closed for eight weeks. And during that time, our brand fared well. Now, we only had one franchisee that chose to open in 2020. We didn't, enfor we didn't enforce that our other buyer who bought the, the entire Charlotte market, we enforced them to open because it's like you can't even really be open, right? But we had another one in North Carolina that opened like in the summer of 2020. And I mean, again, they opened with a, you know, a money making money and essentially a full gym, which was unbelievable. And their churn rate stayed about where our current churn rate is, which is claimed in our franchise document, which is only 3% a month. So our brand fared really well. It's probably because we have less people, right? So yeah, it's personal training. So it's only 130 members makes a really healthy model. And so there's that. So as a, a small number drives, trust inherently higher. So that's always good, right? It's funny because I know we know, like if we know each other and trust each other, it doesn't like change the fact that, that there's a, uh, you know, a virus that could be transmitted. Like just because we like each other doesn't mean we can't transmit a virus, but I'm just saying from an engagement standpoint, if trust is higher, it's going to be better. That and the fact that we had this technological tool, which is our proprietary app. And we were typically using it, you guys to send, like say Daniel's coming to the gym twice a week and he wants something to do on that third day at home or you know whatever that may be. And it pulls in my fitness pal for nutrition, it pulls in wearables and everything else. And so we, you know, we had that tool just at the ready. So we were able to immediately pivot to virtual training, put clients in buckets, put coaches in charge of those buckets and continue to personal train them, just do it from you know in their homes without like streaming classes and everything, which is kind of where a lot of fitness brands went. So we were really lucky and across the board for all brands, we're seeing engagement higher than pre-pandemic levels, which is awesome. And we're also seeing, and this is self-servingly really good for us, that in clubs, even large clubs that have a general membership, but they also sell coaching services. We're seeing most of the coaching engagement come in personal training, not class-based concepts. So say you've got a, a gym that has 10,000 members and you're measuring visits to like, you know, again, group exercise, which would be 20 to 30 people versus personal training across all the brands we work with still in licensing, personal training engagement is higher than it was, you know, sometimes 30, 40% higher and engagement in group stuff is down a bit. So again, you know, overall visits are up and personal training is certainly up. And it may just speak to the fact that People don't want to really get in a room with 20, 25 people right now. It may also speak to the fact that, uh, you know, people are looking at their health and saying, hey, I can't control this thing. But what, one thing I can control is to be healthy. And we know that that was a huge factor, you know, as far as like how you fared when you when you caught this, this stinking virus. So, yeah, I mean, that's what we're seeing. And I mean, it's all great. And I'm super thankful for that. No doubt about it. I can personally attest to that. I just got a, a new apartment here recently, moved across town, same town. And they had a little gym. They actually have two gyms in my uh, my in my building. 
and it's cool, but there's no sense of community. There's very limited equipment. There's no free uh, barbells or anything like that for the most part. It's a Smith machine. And at first I was like, yeah, this is cool, man. I'm really enjoying this. I just walk downstairs, go to the gym. But then after a while, and I know I may not look like it, but, uh, <laughs> but after a while I was like, you know what? I need, to, <laughs> I need to get that sense of community. I need to get extra motivation from that, that cute gal across the room. You know, that's, that's looking good. So I want to, I, I totally understand the need for it. And I was itching to get back in. I'm, I'm in California, right outside of LA. So everything did shut down for quite some time. And I was itching to get back in the gym. Uh, I was doing a lot of running, but I did miss that sense of community. So being able to get back into it is no doubt very, very, very critical. It's funny that you made that joke about your yourself and your working out. <clears throat> it just thought made me think of something. I was at a um, an IFA, the IFA, and I was facilitating a roundtable about um, development, about how to increase your franchise development conversion rate and get more candidates into your franchise system. And I was talking about Nurture Assist, how we do social media lead generation for franchisors. And I'm not meaning to plug here about our, our business, but um, we, were, you know, we were talking about that. Uh, I'm and, sorry, what's the name of that again? Yeah. Um, do you have a phone number? Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Keep going as you are. Um, and, you know, I was explaining how when you're online and you have ads that are relative to what you've been searching for, right? That's what we do. But for franchises, we find people that are looking for franchise. They get our ads on social media, just like you do for pet food, if you own a pet or whatever. And I made a joke that said, I think mine must not be filtering properly because I just keep getting diet pills. And <laughs> this kid that I don't even know just looks at me in front of the whole group and he says, sounds like they're, they're, they're uh, accurate. And I'm like, Boom. wow. So put on a couple right of to the, did, did, could you reach the knife in your back or did you have to get someone else to pull that out it's like you know hey. i actually told him i want to be friends because you got to be good you know i only make fun of my own friends so i guess we're just have to be yeah, I, I guess you like me because well i'll tell you another thing too and you guys have seen this um for i'm sure in, in the lead generation side of things but you know there's this thing going on called the great resignation right is what they called it and it's like you would think, I mean, it made a lot of sense to everyone. Like if you were like a server or you were in an industry that was drastically affected by COVID, you were displaced. So you might've gone back to school or you moved or you just did something different, right? And those jobs are still, you know, a little bit hard to fill when you see that in restaurants looking for help and that type of thing, right? But what's interesting is it wasn't just those folks. And what it, what it now speaks to when you look at it is like people had all this downtime to just think, you know, and you're sitting at home all day and you're like, you know, you're off the hamster wheel for a minute. You know, your, your schedule's been disrupted a bit. And all of a sudden you're like, do I even want to do, like, what am I doing with my life? It just gave us all time to take stock of where we were. Did we want to be here? And it really drove for us anyway. I mean, we got a ton of, of leads, right? During that time from people that were just like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I think when you look at the psychology of change, you know, it's, you know, a big retail is great at this, right? Like if someone has a baby, that's a major change. If someone moves, that's a major change. And they're so good with their data. I mean, they try to get right in there so that they're the first engagement after, you know, you're having a baby or the first engagement after you move, because that's when you're establishing new patterns. Once you find the grocery store that you like, the restaurant, you know what I mean? It's like, then you're a little harder to move off of center when you do that. I'm sure you guys have heard, I can't remember the name of the book now, but it was about Target. 
And Target hired these behavioral analysts to do all this data. And they used it on, um, you know, they used it to, to be able to predict when their customers were pregnant. Because Target's philosophy was, if you can sell them diapers, you can sell them everything. Meaning that a mom's not going to go to Target for one thing, for diapers, and then go buy groceries and things everywhere else. It's like, if I could get all that business because I'm a one-stop shop, that's awesome. So everyone's clamoring to get into that, to that slot when there's that major change. And so Target built all these algorithms. They had, you know, baby registries. So they, could, they had this historical data and they would overlay that over people's current buying habits. And they would be able to say, okay, if people are buying these things, we know based on the people that told us they were pregnant, that they're pregnant. And there's this crazy stories about, you know, they start sending these specific ads to people with like, you know, all baby stuff, right? And people that maybe hadn't even told their family yet were freaked out. It was like, how do they know, right? And so they even had to tone that down where it's like, here's a lawnmower, here's some milk, and then here's some diapers, right? So they, because it was so creepy. And there's stories about like, you know, dads getting ads that were sent to their high school daughters and they're very upset. And they take them to the target and they're yelling at the manager who he doesn't know because it's a national campaign. Turns out the daughter's pregnant, the mom knows, and they just haven't let dad in on the big secret yet. And Target figured it out. So amazing, right? But when you think about disruption in life and buying habits, I mean, what's more disruptive than a global pandemic? So all of a sudden, I think people are like, my whole paradigm has shifted. What the hell am I doing with my life? I don't want to work in finance anymore. I want to be a fitness guy or whatever that is, right? Or I want to be an entrepreneur. Finally, I'm going to take a shot. I could have died. I didn't. So I think I'm going to take a risk, right? Yeah. So I'm sure you guys saw that as well. I'd love to get your thoughts on that and see what we're from where you guys are. What did you see? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I believe that every company has to understand now that they're they're a data company first, right? They're, we're all a technology company, if you think of it that way, or a data company. Ulta Beauty, they always talk about that they're not really a beauty, sal- a beauty supply store. They're, you know, they are a data company and they collect that data and serve the, the right right ads. Yeah, with, with everything going on with Facebook, it's pretty interesting. I was reading about a woman that her was, you know, her sexuality was, you know, she wasn't open about and then she but I guess on the internet she was searching certain things and ads on her Facebook started coming up about that and her coworker saw it and it was like this whole, you know, uh privacy issue. I just like the one you were talking about with Target. Um it's it's pretty interesting. I personally would rather have ads that are relative to what I want and what I'm looking for. I don't want ads for things I don't want. So (laughs) I like personalized ads, but I know some people don't. It's funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine. And of course, you know, everyone's like, man, you get your private VPN and you got to, you know, they're tracking you and Google's tracking you. And he's like, I don't do anything interesting. What do I care? Like, I'd rather them serve up ads of stuff that I want to look at. And I'm willing to trade my data for that. I'm like, great. That's what you're doing. That's what we're all doing. And I think most of us kind of fit into that category where it's like, yeah. As long as you understand that when you're on any of these platforms, you're the product, right? Like you think you're the customer and you're shopping for products. It's like, no, no, no. You're being monetized, your attention. So you're actually the product. As long as you get your head around that, you're like, that's cool. Then it's fine. I'm with you. It's like, hey, it makes my life more convenient. Send me the things I like. Yeah. <laughs> I've really a funny. lot of things through It's Instagram. really funny that we're, they say we're the product. It's like only the only companies in the world that call their customers users right? It's like technology companies, Facebook and Facebook and Netflix and drug dealers. <laughs> like, well, it's the same mechanisms where the brain chemistry is exactly the same. Right. They call them users. They don't call them customers. We're all users. 
Oh, that's it's so really true. I never thought point. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely a user. Listen, I've got, you do everything you can. It's like, you cannot not be on social media if you're in the game at all, but like, you've got to like post and ghost or like, I mean, I've got my phone set for one hour total a day. So if I'm on there posting something for business, I've got an hour a day and that includes all of them. And we're on all of them. So this is like Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, we're on everything. And it's like all of those an hour. That's an obscenely low amount, believe it or not. So you're like running in and commenting and trying to get off before your phone shuts you down. But I still think it's the right thing to do because, man, you can waste a lot of time if you're not careful. That's true. I know I got to talk to you. I'm sorry, Christian. I mean, I was going to say, I just got to talk to you about how to, how to get that uh, figured out because for me, I'm a, I'm a phone junkie. I'm a social media junkie. Talk about discipline. You go on an hour a day scheduled. Yeah. Like I, you can set your phone. So I have an iPhone and you can go on and you can choose like which apps. And so I lumped all my apps into just what I, what I called social media, even though some of them don't really fit into that category. And you can set a limit on each one or you can just batch, set a batch limit. So I was like, all right, I'm going to set a batch limit for one hour a day. That still sounds like a lot of wasted time. But if you're actually posting on there and then trying to like answer questions and engage, an hour is, I mean, you have to be very thoughtful about your time. So what it's kind of forced me to do is like batch my time that I'm on there. Um, you know, what it keeps me from doing is the things that we all do. Like you're watching a sporting event and every time there's a commercial and you're like, do, 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 do. and then pretty soon the game's back on and you're like, oh yeah, what game are you? You know what I mean? It's like, it's just human nature, man. We have these rat brains and they know how to push all of our buttons. So uh, it's just, you know how it is, Daniel. It's like a, a personal challenge. Like, hey, can I limit this to an hour a day? And then you find out like how difficult it is. Because if you've already hit your hour, you're traveling and you're at the airport and there's nothing to do. You're like, what am I going to do with myself? And you look around and everyone's like this and you can't because your hour's up. It's like audiobooks, you know, I guess this is all I'm going to do. I don't include Spotify in that. So I got to like listen to something. You know? Yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. Yep. I, I, it's funny because it's almost the opposite of working out and exercise. You know, you want to make sure that you hit that hour of exercise and it's, that's harder to do. Whereas for this, it's very easy to hit the hour you, and you look at your weekly reports and how much time you spent per day. It's crazy. If you, if you spent the same amount of time working out, I mean, you'd look like Rick Mayo. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't really work out that much anymore. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I joke um, here, like somebody said to me one time as a joke, they're like, wow, you're the only fitness guy that's actually in shape, you know, that's in franchising. I was like, oh, well, maybe that's my shtick, you know, like I'll be the most jacked CEO in all of franchising. I'm not sure that that moves the needle. I'm sure people are just like, that guy looks too big. He must not work very much. You know, <laughs> so I've got, I got to keep it, I've got to keep it, you know, reasonable. <laughs> there's a fine line, right? If you're too, I have a friend that's in, in, um, pretty decent job in finance and he's a big big guy people always kind of think he's just like this working out meathead guy and he's actually incredibly brilliant you don't want to get too big no offense to yeah, him. what's weird because like the the that's just a stigma because exercise we know is good for brain chemistry right, right. but to your point dan i was i was at my neighbor's house the other day they our next door neighbors have like every thursday they have this like thirsty thursday like neighborhood party i mean they're they're a party like crazy they're awesome so I was over there and there's a guy in my neighborhood. I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if it was a compliment. It was kind of like what the guy said to you about the fellows pills or something. And he was like, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, he's talking to me. He's like, you know, Rick, you're pretty smart. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, it's just a weird thing to say to anyone. Right. I was like, okay, I'm like, thanks. I guess I'm like, did you not think I was smart? Like, and he's like, well, you know, working out a lot and stuff. And I was like, Oh, 
you know, it's funny. In the, the last IFPG conference, I let my wife buy me a collared shirt and get it logoed. It's the only one I had for the day, and I put it on. It's way too tight. I'm like, this looks ridiculous. I'm going to get zero credibility talking business wearing a muscle shirt out here, you know, in public. So <laughs> you do have to be careful of it. You know, you really do. Yeah, sometimes people think that uh, intelligence and being in shape, they're two mutually exclusive things. You can have one, but you can't have the other. And that's not true. You can have bronze and you can't have beauty. And I am proof of that. That's a mic drop, baby. <laughs> you're proof of it, Christian. Like, don't let them hate on you, man. Just because you're buff and brilliant, it's like, hey, that's fine. But, like, but they just is- are... Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, it's, it's so true. Like, you know, the, think about it. what's the like quintessential like businessman. It's like, you know, a little bit overweight, lots of steak dinners, you know, like that's a CEO's, you know, face of, of, of business. Yeah. Drinks a lot, can rally the next day, you know, yeah. just working hard, everything for everything for the business. But I mean, like, look, I mean, if you're fit, I don't, there's not a piece of research out there that doesn't support that. Like your brain and everything else in your body works better. If you are fit, now you don't have to be like buff or an Adonis, but if you don't exercise, it's like, you're just behind the eight ball from the start, you know, even from a, I I mean, this is when you know, you're getting older. It's like, I don't work out for the way I look. I'm just like, if I don't work, I don't feel good, period. Like I don't show up the best for my team or my spouse or anything. Right. It's like, if you want to show up as your best, you've got to exercise. You really do. And then you can start splitting hairs about what type of exercise and all that. But I don't know if you guys have ever done any deep dives. I never talk about fitness on these calls, but there's some really interesting like anti-aging type of stuff or just general health uh, information about exercise. And thankfully, most of it points towards sort of what our protocols are. But it is really interesting. There's a lot more science coming out because a lot more people are exercising than ever before. You know, certainly as a percentage, like your age bracket, as an example, like very high engagement with fitness. It's like very common. Everyone does something, right? Even if they don't, like you said, you're not training to be a bodybuilder. You're just training to be healthy. And it's very in vogue and it should be to do it. So there's a lot more info than that's that's digging down and saying, okay, well, if I'm going to spend three or four hours a week exercising, what should I be doing to get the most bang for my buck? And that's, that's a great question. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm dominating the questions. I'll, I'll ask one more and then I'll put myself on mute. Um, Rick, let's talk about that for a second. As a CEO, you know, a lot of our listeners are looking at owning their own business, running their own company, or they already do. Um, how do you fit in the working out? What does that schedule look like? Is it early in the morning? How many days a week? Like, how do you make it work? Yeah, just kind of whenever's necessary. So, you know, the, let's just take boutique fitness. Like what's the landscape of fitness overall? Most of boutique fitness is what we would call class-based, which is like 20 to 30 people, right? And you're in a room and it's typically based on, again, a modality or a piece of technology like heart rate or something. Um, and you go and, and you tick that box for the day, that's exercise. And that's great. Like I'm not ever here to say like any kind of exercise is better than nothing. And I, and I firmly believe that, right? But if you're putting in that exercise, what's the best use of your time? And so what we're finding is that for any age bracket, male or female, doesn't matter. It should be strength first, right? Because that's typically what you start losing the fastest from like age 25 on. You know, and I'm not talking about like massive muscle size. I'm just talking about general strength because that's your metabolism. That's, I mean, it's everything, right? And certainly as you get like 30, you get into 40s, you get into 50s, it's like it becomes uber important. So strength first, then it's like, okay, move more, right? Now, what does that mean? If you look at these blue zones and places in the world, people live to be 100 years old, right? They just move a lot more. They don't do like cardio, right? They just go walk. They walk everywhere. They work in the garden. They just move more. 
And I think, you know, that's something that we don't do as well, certainly in the States, you know, it's like, we just kind of get in a car and we drive somewhere and then we sit, you know, and then we go work out, but it's like 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then that's it. And the rest of the time we're sitting or, you know, lying down, watching TV, whatever that may be. So just moving more. So if you did to say strength three to four days a week and you moved and the threshold seems to be about three hours a week, and that could be walking at a decent pace. So just get out and move. If you guys are working from home between calls, just a lap around the neighborhood can do wonders for like your, you know, your psyche overall, get you moving, get your blood flow. So three hours a week of moving one day a week, get your heart rate really high. That's it. Mm. And so it kind of flies in the face of all the class-based stuff we talked about, because that's all based on like, get in there and go as hard as you can right? For a workout. And there's, you know, there's the emotional response to getting hot and sweaty. But when we look at it, um, there's a famous anti-aging and performance-based doctor. His name's Dr. Peter Atia. You guys may have heard of him. He's on a lot of podcasts or whatnot. You know, he's a brilliant guy and he calls that the garbage zone. So what it is, is you're not working, you're not at a low enough heart rate to be sustainable for, for much a long period of time, but you're not really high enough to elicit these responses that you need. So you kind of end up in this no man's land. And that's where a lot of the boot camps and stuff put you because you go in there, you're, you're out of breath, but you can't be like going hard as hard as possible because you got to survive for 45 minutes or so. Right. And so you'd be better off spending more time moving at a lower heart rate. And then one day we go really high, like very uncomfortable. And most people, you know, they don't discipline enough to move slow enough. And then they don't really want to get uncomfortable. Like you have to, to go at really high heart rate. So they kind of end up hanging out in this no man's land. So again, it's hair splitting. I'm not saying don't work out. Anything is better than nothing. But if you're putting in your time, you know, let's do that, right? Let's do strength first, move more. One day a week, get your heart rate high. Don't go to a cardio class. That's all. And I'm not throwing shade at other brands. It's like, look, man, if you're, if they're making their community do something great, but if you're going to say, okay, you know, exercise as a baseline is going to move me five rungs up on the ladder. What kind of exercise? Okay. Well, here's what we know scientifically, right? So I agree with that. Something that I've come to firmly believe is that consistency trumps intensity. 100%. I would rather be consistent over a long period of time than have randomized intense bursts of good exercise or, or focus in business or this or that. So I think having that consistency over long periods of time, that's where you, you get the, the best results and, and build the best uh, body and mind for yourself. So I completely agree with that. And it's funny because I listen to, I don't know if you know, Nick Bear, Rick. Uh, yeah. Nick Bear. Yep. I've heard of that. Uh, yeah, I've heard of, uh, what is it like BPN supplements or something like that? He does mm-hmm. a bunch of ultra marathons and marathon running and his marathon training program actually flies in the face of a lot of conventional advice. You'd think, man, I got to run as hard as possible all the time, get my heart rate up. And his program is, look, I want you about 80% of the time, 80% of your runs should be quote unquote easy runs where you're in a, your, your heart rate is in a, a zone where it's, if you were to rank it on a scale of one to 10 in terms of intensity, you're at like a three or a four for, for, a, you know, six, eight miles, whatever it is, whatever you can do for whatever level you're at. And then one day a week or two days a week, there's a, a hard run where it's, you're pushing the pace a little bit. You're getting your heart rate up a little bit more than normal. And I think that's true of, I think that's just a good strategy because I am so much less likely to show up tomorrow if I killed myself the day before. But if I make it easy to say yes, I can get up knowing, okay, yeah, yes, I got to run, but it's going to be like a steady state cardio type thing. I'm not 
killing myself to get out there and, and, and do it. And I think that's so true in business as well. Don't kill yourself. If you want to be in it for the long haul, business is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Yes, there are bursts of time where you do need to sprint a little bit and there's some hills and there's some downhills as well. But it's, it's so true what you just said. And I, that's why I think that, uh, it, but it does fly in the face of conventional wisdom and a lot of workout programs don't really cater to that. So I think that that's a huge differentiator for, uh, for what you guys do at Alloy Personal Training. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, um, you know, again, it's a uh, Peter Atia will say again, it's like this, this message is, is probably not talked about enough, right? Where we're like, Hey, just stay out of this no man's land. Like being in for the long haul, like you said, habits over outcomes. And it's one and the same, right? But like, instead of setting this audacious goal, just how about setting a goal like, or change two or three habits, right? And those things are going to lead to the same outcome anyway, but make a focus on the day in day out work and things that are sustainable. It's going to get you there anyway, probably a lot better than saying, okay, I have this goal to lose 40 pounds. It's like, all right, well, what, what processes is it going to take to get you there? Or, hey, I want to work out, you know, I want to do this marathon race. It's like, all right, what, what processes are going to get you to the start line uninjured, right? And so that's kind of the way we look at fitness. It's very scientific approach. Of course, as you guys know, none of it matters if you can't deliver it in a fun, engaging customer experience. So it's always the fine line between the hard science, which we know will get people there, and then also delivering it in a way that's not really boring like hard science, right? It's like right, right in the middle is where the rubber meets the road. And uh, that's what I feel like we do well. Um, so I think you got to do both, right? I mean, you can create just a, an experience that's kind of based on shady science, or you could do all science and not have anybody in your facility because it's boring. So you really have to kind of do both. And um, I appreciate you saying that because we work really hard to, to walk that line. Absolutely. So we're coming up a little bit on the end of our time, but before we did, I mean, obviously we've talked about your brand, different aspects of it, but can you give us like the quick pitch? Obviously it's a recurring revenue model. It's a membership based model, but what sort of equipment is needed? What kind of labor is needed? Can it be semi-absentee? So can you walk us through some of those things that that way our audience uh, can have an idea of what the model looks like? Yeah, it's a relatively small footprint. So 1500 square feet. It is. That's and that's like 15 to 2000. That's most retail bays in most, you know, a grade shopping center areas, which is where we're going. Right. So pretty easy to find real estate equipment packages, 35, 50 K all in for the equipment. So not too expensive. I mean, we're opening right now. The FTD says like high 100s up to like, you know, uh, high threes. We're getting most open around 300 K, which is not bad. Um, I think the biggest differentiator for us, it's got a low labor model. So, you know, you've got an operator in there and a couple of part-timers. So it's not like a fitness brand where you've got like a million, you know, you've got 50 instructors and you've got to have a manager. And the thing that we do well, you guys, is lifetime value. And that's based on retention. So there's just some metrics to leave your audience with. It's like, all right, most class-based concepts, yeah, the national average is around 129 bucks a month, right? And the average stay in those brands is five months because there's a lot of them. So the avatar will jump around a lot, right? When you look at Alloy, the average stays three years and the average spend is around 300 bucks a month. So you're talking about a lifetime value of 11,500 versus 650 bucks. And I'll tell you the customer acquisition cost of those two avatars is, or those two customers is exactly the same. So it's a rhetorical question, but like, which customer do you want? So for us sitting in a model at 130 members, if we pre-sell strong, and you get the gym up to speed and we're pre-selling over a hundred members. It's like, okay, you're, you're making money. You're going to be full in a couple of months and then you're only going to turn out 3% a month. So that's what three and a half people a month. So your marketing budget basically plummets. 
and you get to be in the fitness business. You know, if you're in a class-based concept, you're turning out 10% of your members every month and you have four, 500, 700 members, you need 50 members a month, sometimes just to stay afloat, you know, much less to net grow a little bit. So I think that's one thing that makes us unique. And it's really because we, we aren't class-based and we're an affordable option for the 45 to 65 age avatar that holds most of our nation's disposable income, by the way, that would typically buy one-on-one training, but that's really pricey. It's kind of boring. It's not a scalable business model. So it's like, all right, we kind of sit in this sweet spot right in between those. And there's not a lot of people doing it. So that's our big advantage is customer avatar is different, great retention, lifetime value is amazing. So that that's really all I can say. And it's not too expensive to get one open. Now, would you guys like to buy one now or would you want to send you the franchise documents later? Or, I mean, we can work it out like after the call. I don't know if you want to do it live or people can watch. It's up to you guys. Yeah, you guys are willing to waive the franchise fee, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, okay. All right, well, sounds good. Well, then uh, we'll get one open in LA, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We don't have LA yet. We need to be out there. It's a beautiful area. We have a ton of gyms that we've uh, worked with from a licensing standpoint. So, it's a good market. As you know, there's a million fitness concepts, but uh, for what we do, it's a nice, it's a nice niche out there. Yeah. Well, where I live too, it's very suburban and uh, I think it's a great market for, for alloy personal training. And there really isn't anything out here that is like it at all. It's, you got your gold, you got your LA fitness, crunch fitness anytimes, but you don't really have not a whole lot of boutique fitness. And if they are, it's not really a great value and it's definitely not personal training. So there's definitely need right. for it, no doubt. Yeah. Well, awesome. Listen, I know you guys are up against it. I could probably cut it up with you guys all day because I enjoy you guys personally, but I know you have work to do, as do I. But um, listen, keep doing what you're doing, you guys. I appreciate it. Um, you know, all I hear is, is great things about you guys and all the leads you're producing, both for franchisors and consultants. So I appreciate you guys helping us push this, you know, move the ball down the field as an industry. So thanks for what you do. I'll say that. And uh, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. Yeah, thank you, Rick. I also want to thank you because I have on my computer here this post-it note from about a year ago. You gave me some advice on how to run a business well, and it's still here. It says set up guardrails uh, for your team and you know to help them kind of stay on on in you know in the right direction. Track a scorecard daily. Um, have goals and accountability. My favorite one is their win. What's their win? And make sure the compensation models all set around it. And then the biggest one here actually fell off and it says, get out of the way. You can't see it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's probably the hardest part, right? Just hire good people, give them some score, give them a scoreboard that they appreciate, give them some guardrails and just move and let them do their job. And, and those things all sound so simple, but are very difficult as you know, but if you can do it, man, you can create magic. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on, Rick. This has been such a fun episode. It's been it's been cool hanging out. Um, sorry we have to wrap it up, but it was such a great time. And hopefully, we'll have you back in the future too. Would love to get some uh, some updates on Alloy Personal Training as things continue to to progress. But uh, yeah, but thanks everyone for coming on to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. You can find us on uh, obviously you're listening now, but Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Leave us a review. Share it with your friends. Let us know what you think. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys.